All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Our next chapter in Ephesians and the second last chapter in Ephesians before we're finished. We'll read only two verses, just verse 1 and verse 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Lord, I ask that you just confirm this word to us this morning. Just commit the teaching of it to you in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. These two verses start the next chapter, but in actuality, they really end the last chapter. So sometimes we read according to the chapter breaks, and we see the big number five there, and so we forget everything that chapter four said, and we begin thinking afresh in chapter five. But really, these last two verses sum up what was just said. So the, fo- the, f- the foregoing paragraph was all this series of practical exhortations, which we looked at last week, if you remember. Starting in verse 25, he says, put away lying, put away anger, put away stealing, put away corrupt communication, put away bitterness and wrath and anger and unforgiveness. And then he gives all the opposites of those things that we're to put on and walking consistent with our identity in Christ as a new creation in him. But visualize chapter 5 to start in verse 3. So just see how it flows. I'm just going to read from verse 31, just kind of jumping into that last paragraph, and I'll read to the end so you can get a feel for it. So just as we were to jump into the middle of it, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The word therefore connects it to the, the uh, paragraph before. So verse 1 and 2 in chapter 5 isn't just another exhortation in the series. It's the conclusion. It's the sum of everything he has said. You want to be a follower of God and walk in love? This is putting away lying. This is putting away anger. This is putting away evil speaking out of our mouths. All those exhortations hang upon this. And brothers and sisters, this, these two verses sum it all up. The whole of the Christian life can be summed up in these two verses right here. The whole thing. Every command, every exhortation simply comes out of this. What is it to walk suitably? As we looked at the very beginning of chapter 4, walk suitably or worthy of the calling. What is it? It's to follow God. Or, as the Greek says, more accurately, to imitate God. What is it to walk worthy as a Christian of the calling? Imitation of God. That's what it is. Whatever we do, may it be an imitation of what God has done for us. This is the sum of it all imitation imitation now there's good imitation and there's bad imitation right in our language in our use of the word imitation we talk about 
imitation, and sometimes it's referring to a good thing, and sometimes it's referring to a bad thing, right? So sometimes we say, thing, say it negatively, oh, it's just an imitation. It's just imitation leather, right? It's not the real leather, it's just imitation leather. Just an imitation watch. It's not really a Rolex, it's just an imitation Rolex. We say it in a negative way, right? Imitation crab, right? It's not real crab, it's just imitation crab. <laughs> so sometimes when we use that word, it's a negative thing. It's kind of said with a little bit of disdain and contempt. You don't really have the real thing, you just have the fake thing. A bad imitation is when something is trying to pass as something that's real. So you got the real thing, and bad imitation is when you're trying to pass as that. You're trying to pretend you are the real thing. You're trying to pretend you're that when you're not. And so you act like it to be like it so that you'll fool people to think you are it. That's bad imitation. But there's good imitation, and we use it also in a good way. And it's not when you're trying to pass as something. I'm trying to pretend that I am a Rolex watch. I'm trying to pretend that I am so-and-so, identity theft. But it's simply when you have someone as a role model or as an example that you want to imitate their life. You're not trying to be them. You're not trying to pass as them. You're just wanting to imitate them as a role model. Not to usurp who they are, but to be like them because you recognize they're a good example. Exactly. But not replace them and not pretend you are them. That's good imitation. And in the Bible, this word imitation in the New Testament is used seven times. It's always used as a good thing. It's never used in the bad sense. It's always used as in the good sense. And sometimes we read Paul, the apostle, say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says that twice. One verse, he says, imitate me. He's talking to the brothers in Corinthians, actually. Both are found in 1 Corinthians. He says, imitate me as I Im imitate Christ. Or he says, just be like me. Imitate me in another verse. I'm not, in the context, he's not looking to men. He's not exalting men. Just be like me. So Paul points to himself and says, imitate me as an example. Paul also points to other men. He says, mark these guys who, are, who walk the same way we do and imitate them, he says. Or in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, imitate those men who have, have walked in patience of faith. They've believed, they've been patient, and they've received the promise. Imitate them. Imitate their faith. And also, he talks to the churches in Thessalonians, I believe. He says, that you became an imitator of the churches, the other churches. So he also says, you guys imitated the other churches. They were being persecuted as you were persecuted, and you also, you imitated them in like endurance under persecution. But all those things are imitations of things on the earth. You know, imitating a man, a man as an example, the apostle, a church. But here in chapter 5, it's been said by scholars to be one of the most startling admonitions in the New Testament. Paul tells us to imitate not a man, not a church, but to imitate God. Imitate God. <laughs> startling. It's not startling because it's a new idea, though. This isn't a new idea. It's startling because it's so blunt. 
This is really the only place in the Bible it just puts it so bluntly. In other places, it's kind of, it's said, but it's not said so bluntly. Imitate God. The Greek expositor Solomon said, here is the loftiest and most exalting endeavor that can possibly be set before man. And it was proposed to us also by Christ himself. So, Again, it's not a new idea. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about imitating God. He didn't say it so bluntly, but he said, look, he said, God is kind to the just and the unjust. So if you, if you want to be children of God, if you want to be like him, then he said, to don't just greet those who are your friends, greet those who are your enemies too. God is, is kind to them as well. And so the Sermon on the Mount also, he's pointing to God. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect in his kindness. In the Old Testament, also in the law, the idea of imitating God is there as well. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Be holy as God is holy, right? God is holy, therefore you be holy. Be like him. Be like him. But the difference is between that in the law and that in the Sermon on the Mount and this is that first of all, in the law, They were imitating his holiness to be holy themselves. So God is holy and righteous, you be holy and righteous. And if you're not holy and righteous, you'll be cut off. In the Sermon on the Mount, see, men knew God was kind, and Jesus was pointing that out. The idea of God being compassionate and kind and merciful and forgiving is not new to the New Testament, per se. And Jesus pointed out God sends rain on the just and the unjust. But the difference is, is that they didn't know the full-fledged demonstration of God's love. They knew he was kind, but how kind? They knew he was compassionate, but how compassionate is God? They knew he was forgiving, but how forgiving? And Paul here speaks from the most extreme vantage point, having now seen the demonstration of the love of God and the grace of God and the kindness of God. He says, now be imitators of God. They didn't know it before. They thought, well, God is forgiving to me of my sins. I should be forgiving to others. But man, if I do something really bad, God's not going to forgive me. If someone does something really bad, I'm not going to forgive them. There's a difference here. Imitating God. Now, imitating God here in this text, as we look at it in verse 1 and 2, it's not exhaustive. When Paul says, be imitators of God, he's speaking very specifically about something. He's not saying, hey, uh, JP, imitate God and his omniscience. You know, God is omniscient, imitate him. (laughs) That means God knows everything. You need to know everything, JP. Or Terry, imitate God. He's omnipotent. So he's he's all-powerful. Imitate that. Okay? Got that? You do that, you'll be fine. <laughs> you can't. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> this isn't telling you to pass as God. This isn't bad imitation. We're not trying to be God. I think this is a difficulty in, in this state. Many people are trying to be God. When Paul says imitate God, he's not telling you to be God. He's not telling you to pretend you're a Rolex watch or pretend you are God. But he's saying this in God, this specific quality about God, that set as your example and imitate it. That's what you are to imitate. And what is that quality as it is here? 
It's specifically love. Imitate God and walk in love. Now, to imitate God, it presupposes that you know something about him, right? You can't say, imitate, and then we'll pick some random name, John Smith. Well, who's he? I don't know, but imitate him. Just do it. You don't know him. To imitate God, you need to know God, and you not only need to know who he is, that he is, but what it is that, about him that you're to imitate. And so Paul here says, as dear children. The Greek is actually beloved children, not dear children. Beloved children. That is, as children who are loved by God. This is who he gives instruction to. He's not giving this instruction to the lost. But he's giving this instruction to the children, of course, who know the Father and who are loved by the Father and who know the Father's love for them. And in that knowledge that they have of God and his love, he says, imitate it. They need to first be his children. They need to first know his love in order to imitate it. And so his love towards us teaches us. You remember in 1 John. 1 John's all about this. It starts in chapter 3, really, where where, um, John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. This is whom he's talking to here. He's not talking to the lost. He's saying, brothers and sisters, as we've read read before in Ephesians, children adopted of God, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold it. See it. Because, I love that verse, because John doesn't just say he loves you, but John says, look at what kind of love God has for you. I love that. Behold what manner. What manner of love. The issue isn't just knowing God loves you. I hope you do know that God loves you. But the real issue is, what kind of love does he love you with? What is the manner and the nature of the love of God towards you? Paul prays that we might know it. And as we know it, we're to imitate it the manner of love, not just that he loves me. Because I could say, I know that God loves me, and so I just need to imitate that, and I just need to love other people. But there's nothing really explained there. When you know the manner of God's love for you, then all of a sudden, we're taught to imitate that towards others in that same manner towards others. That's a tall order, isn't it? Once you begin to learn about the heights and the breadths and the depths and the lengths of it, but it's that that we're to imitate. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, again, John says, beloved, beloved, he starts by saying, those who are loved. If God so loved us, not just if God loved us, but if he so loved us in that character, in that nature of giving himself a propitiation for our sins, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We're taught by his love to love also. Do you think we spend enough time beholding what manner of love the Father has given unto us? That we, I think that's the emphasis in that verse, that we should be called the children of God? (laughs) 
we who were vile and sinful and wretched and disobedient and rebellious against God, we should be called his children. You'd think he'd choose an angel or something. Those obedient angels that do his bidding and worship him all the time. But who did he choose? Who did he choose, Wallace? Did he choose those who worshipped him all the time, gave him all the glory? He chose those who fought against him and were his enemies. We should be called the children of God. That's amazing. How did he love us? He died for us. That's a huge thing. No greater love, actually, than laying down your life. He died for us, Paul points out here. And he blessed us in that death with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he adopts us as his own children. Doesn't just forgive us, but pulls us close and says we're his own. Imitate that love. Do you know that God's calling us to imitate that love? You got an enemy? You have somebody who sins against you all the time? That person, imitate the love of God. Lay your life down. Bless. Relationship. That's the kind of love that we're to imitate. Now, we have a hard time doing with someone who sins against us every once in a while, right? But God did it for us when we were just always and still sin against him. Imitate him. As dear children, we don't become his children by imitating him, but we can only imitate him because we are beloved children. That's the essence of this doctrine. That's the reason why we can imitate. This isn't a salvation message. This isn't a gospel message. This isn't what you go out and tell the lost. You want to be beloved children? Imitate God. No. Good luck. Now notice in this verse also, Paul starts by saying, be ye imitators of God as beloved children and then he says and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us so wasn't he just talking about God how come he's now telling us to imitate Christ why do you think because to imitate Christ is to imitate God because Christ is God he says, imitate God just as Christ, imitate the love that Christ did for you when he loved you and gave himself on the cross for us. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. How do I imitate God whom I've not seen? Well, you can look at Jesus. That's God whom you can see. There he is. And I remember, remember when... Uh, on the night that Jesus was breaking bread and washed their feet and, and uh, was about to be betrayed, Philip came up to him and said, Jesus, just, you know, there's, he got the sense that Jesus was leaving, you know, because Jesus was saying, I'm departing. He's like, just show us the Father and that will be enough. 
And what does Jesus say? He's like, Philip, have I been so long with you and you don't even know me? Are you still looking for the God? Are you still looking for the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't need to go anywhere else. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you know the Father, because I and the Father are one. And all the works that I do, I'm just doing what he tells me to do. In fact, Jesus says right there, the Father does all the works in me. It's one and the same. What is God like? God is like Jesus Christ washing our feet and breaking his body and dying on the cross for us. That's what God is like. And then being patient with unbelieving apostles who don't believe after he's resurrected. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Isn't that an exciting thing? Christians, if you've seen Jesus, you know who God is and you know exactly what God is like, the express image of who he is. The glory of who he is is to be seen in Jesus. Remember when Moses asked for a sight of the glory of God? Show me your glory. And he let all his goodness pass before him. He didn't let him see his face there, right? And he said, the Lord God proclaimed his name, compassionate, gracious, merciful, kind, forgiving. He didn't see his face, though. In, in 2 Corinthians, what does Paul say? We behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All those all of the glory of God and who he is, we see it in Jesus and in him dying on the cross. And I think one, one brother who was commenting on that verse said that if we see it in the face of Jesus, we see it in a bloody face, a face that has been beaten for us. That's the glory of God. In, um, in 1418, there is a book written is very famous. It was famous then. It has been famous. Very famous now. It's called The Imitation of Christ. And it was written by a guy named Thomas A. Kempis, so they think. And he was a Roman Catholic monk. And he wrote to the monks, but it became public, on how to imitate Christ, how to imitate Jesus. The whole book is, is premised on this. If you read the opening part of the book, he's saying, you know, the only thing that matters is, is being like Jesus, being like Christ. And you say, okay, all right, this is interesting. But as you read on in the book and as you read through the book, you find a graceless message. There's no grace in this book whatsoever. And the book is actually a, a dialogue between this disciple and Jesus, and Jesus speaks to him, and he speaks to Jesus. And, and Jesus is always saying to him, you know, I died on the cross for you. If you want my grace, you need to obey, and you need to give yourself like I gave myself for you, and you need to deny yourself, and you need to do this, and you need to do that, and you need to copy me, and blah, 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 blah. If you want to be forgiven and be in relationship with me, the whole book is like that. But it's called The Imitation of Christ. You think, well, that sounds good. This is a famous book amongst non-Roman Catholics as well. I think it captures the thoughts of man on religion. Christian thoughts, so-called. People who claim to believe in Jesus. Is that the imitation of Christ and the imitation of God? I want to point out Akempis's error. When Akempis wrote The Imitation of Christ, he saw Jesus as man. 
He saw, he ended, of course he believed in the divinity and the incarnation, but he was capturing, we need to imitate Jesus the man. The man Jesus. The Jesus, the man who lived the life for us, and we need to be like him. He's a man, we're a man, we need to be like him. And the whole focus was on Jesus the man. How he lived, how he denied himself, how he was sinless, how he prayed, how he thought on things above and all those things, that's what we need to imitate. And by being like him as a man will be righteous. That's bad imitation. And I want to suggest that that's not the way God is calling us to imitate Christ at all, as Jesus the man. But as Jesus as God, and specifically as Jesus, God dying on the cross for our sins, seeing God in Christ Jesus, not imputing our sins unto us, giving his life for us on the cross, shedding his blood for us as our substitute. And that is, of course, the act of love. Seeing that and to imitate that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Trying to make myself clear. Because once you see Jesus as God, not just Jesus as the man doing what men are supposed to do, you know, I'm here as the example showing you what men are supposed to do. But seeing him as God coming out of heaven, laying his life down a ransom for all, serving us in love and in grace. And seeing that and understanding the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus as God being gracious to sinners and laying his life there. That is what you need to see and that is what you need to imitate. And um, Akempis was from... Um, Europe, I believe he was from Holland. There was another Dutch Reformed theologian in the last century named Burkauer, G.C. Burkauer, and he made this comment about the imitation of Christ. Not the book, but just on this thought of the imitation of Christ. He said, you know, the New Testament, I'm just paraphrasing his thought, he says, the New Testament points us to the atonement, points us to the cross and says, imitate God, imitate Christ, like here. Imitate Christ as he laid his life down for us. And he says, that's very strange because that act only God could have done. That act you can't, you know, you can't make an atonement for anyone, but there it is. It points you to that love. And he said, this wouldn't be an evangelical truth. This wouldn't even be a gospel truth, he said, if it was telling you to do that in order to receive grace, or if it was telling you to do that to make atonement for other people's sins, or it was doing that. If you want to imitate God and be forgiven, he said, that wouldn't be evangelical, but it's being pointed to that so that you see God's grace, so that you see his forgiveness for you. And then you imitate that, the grace that you have received. And he says that becomes an extremely and a wonderful evangelical doctrine to imitate the love and the grace of God because you have received it, brothers and sisters. Not to get it. Why are we looking there? Because there is where we received forgiveness. This isn't looking there to get forgiven. This isn't imitating to be forgiven. But it's seeing that point where God laid his life down for us and gave himself on the cross to wipe away our sins and to accept us. And saying, look at that, see that, imitate that. So Paul brings us back to the cross again. Paul brings us back to the cross always in this verse. Walk in love as Christ has loved us 
and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. A sweet-smelling Savior. It sounds like Galatians 2.20. He loved us and he gave himself for us. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I live my life by this faith, that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. This is the sum of it all. You look to the cross where God demonstrated his love in Christ for you and gave himself for you and forgave you of all your sins. You start there in that place and you imitate. Here also it teaches us what the death of Christ was. Some people say, well, the death of Christ was an offering to man. Strangely enough, they say, well, God set forth Jesus just to, to man. He, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that man could see and see how much he hates sin. Or God set forth Jesus an offering to Satan. Some Anselm taught that. But here it says, God, Christ gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to who? To God. The cross was directed at God, actually. First and foremost, now, of course, we see it and we learn. But the cross was directed at God. It was a sacrifice to God. And the sweet-smelling savor here speaks of its acceptability in God's sight. That when Jesus was sacrificed, God received that and rested in that and was accepting that. Actually, the, the Hebrew word for sweet-smelling savor is actually a restful savor. That when God smells it, he actually rests. He's like, like you know, he's all angry because of sin. Sin must be punished. And when he smells that savor, he has relief and he rests. That's the Hebrew word there, the restful savor. You remember in Genesis after the flood happened? It's interesting that after the flood happened, you'd think God would be at rest because of all the destruction that just happened and all the sin that was punished. But it was only when he smelled Noah's sacrifice, that restful savor, it said, that you can see God saying, I'll never do this again. And, and he says the rainbow is going to be in the sky. He comes to rest when he smells the sacrifice. Of course, not the, it's not the animals Noah's sacrifice, but it's Jesus Christ that he was smelling. And God rests in that. That's enough. Paul is saying, the death of Christ is all there is that needs to be done. God has accepted it. God has rested in it. You are forgiven of all your sins. God has loved you. God has given himself for you. It's all been done, your beloved children. Now imitate that love that God has for you. Imitate that. He loved us and gave himself for us. One final comment I'll make is this, that as we imitate God in Christ, when we love others, do we see love as giving ourselves for others? Love isn't just giving things. So, you know, sometimes we think, well, if I'm going to love somebody, I just need to give something. Give a gift. Give some money, give a birthday gift, give a card. Those are good things. But here, love is giving him, was giving himself. And when we love as God loved, we give ourselves 
to the brethren, to the lost. We give ourselves to them. That means laying down your life. That means denying yourself for the sake of somebody else, even giving your life if need be. But to see that not as just you paying some gift, but you giving yourself to another, spending yourself for them. This is it. The sum of all the Christian life can be summed up there. The imitation of God in Christ. That is what it is to walk worthy. That's what propelled Paul and all the exhortations in Scripture to put away lying and anger and all those things can be summed up in this one verse, one statement. The whole of the Christian life is the imitation of God in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your love for us demonstrated in full and wonderful display at the cross. The depths and the lengths and the breadths of your love, Lord, we hardly know. Please teach us to be good beholders of what manner of love you've given unto us so that we can imitate it. I pray that you'd help us to live a life of imitation and set you as our role model. Thank you for giving yourself for all of our sins as a sacrifice to God. And thank you for accepting that sacrifice on our behalf. And I just pray that we'd all rest in that sacrifice as well and be taught by it to love. In Jesus' name, amen.